Chapter Three of the Flight of the Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shay Davenport, New Orleans, Louisiana. The Flight of the Shadow by George MacDonald. Chapter Three. My Uncle. Now I must tell you what my uncle was like. The first thing that struck you about him would have been how tall and thin he was. The next thing would have been how he stooped, and the next how sad he looked. It scarcely seemed that Martha Moon had been able to do much for him, yet doubtless she had done and was doing more than either he or she knew. He had a rather small head on the top of his long body, and when he stood straight up, which was not very often, it seemed so far away that someone said he took him for Zacchaeus, looking down from the sycamore. I never thought of analyzing his appearance, never thought of comparing him with anyone else. To me, he was the best and most beautiful of men, the first man in all the world. Nor did I change my mind about him ever. I only came to want another to think of him as I did. His features were in fine proportion, though perhaps too delicate. Perhaps they were a little too small to be properly beautiful. When first I saw a likeness of the poet Shelley, I called out, My uncle, and immediately began to see the differences. He wore a small but long mustache, brushed away from his mouth, and over it his eyes looked large. They were of a clear gray and very gentle. I know from the testimony of others that I was right in imagining him as a really learned man, that small head of his contained more and better than many a larger head of greater note. He was constantly reading, that is, when not thinking, or giving me the lessons which now make me thank him for half my conscious soul. Reading or writing or thinking, he made me always welcome to share his room with him, but he seldom took me out walking. He was by no means regular in his habits, regarded neither times nor seasons, went and came like a bird. His hour for going out was unknown to himself, was seldom two days together the same. He would rise up suddenly, even in the middle of a lesson. He always called it a lesson together, and without a word, walk from the room and the house. I had soon observed that in gloomy weather he went out often, in the sunshine seldom. The house had a large garden of a very old-fashioned sort, such a place for the charm of both glory and gloom as I have never seen elsewhere. I have had other eyes opened within me to deeper beauties than I saw in that garden then. My remembrance of it is nonetheless of an enchanted ground. But my uncle never walked in it. When he walked, it was always out on the moor he went, and what time he would return, no one ever knew. His meals were uninteresting to him, no concern to anyone but Martha who never uttered a word of impatience, and seldom a word of anxiety. At whatever hour of the day he went, it was almost always night when he came home, often late night. In the house, he much preferred his own room to any other. This room, not so large as the kitchen hall, but quite as long, seems to me, when I look back, my earliest surrounding. It was the center from which my roving fancies issued as from their source, and the end of the journey to which as to their home, they returned. It was a curious place. Were you to see first the inside of the house and then the outside, you would find yourself at a loss to conjecture where within it could be situated such a room. 
it was not however contained in what to a cursory glance passed for a habitable house and a stranger would not easily have found the entrance to it both its nature and situation were in keeping with certain peculiarities of my uncle's mental being he was given to curious inquiries he would set out to solve now one now another historical point as odd as uninteresting to any but a mind capable of starting such a question to determine it he would search book after book as if it were a live thing in whose memory must remain darkly stored thousands of facts requiring only to be recollected amongst them might nestle the thing he sought and he would dig for it as in a mind that went branching through the hardened dust of ages i fancy he read any old book whatever of english history with the haunting sense that next moment he might come upon a trace of certain of his own ancestors of whom he specially desired to enlarge his knowledge whether he started any new thing in mathematics i cannot tell but he would sit absorbed every day and all day long for weeks over his slate suddenly throw it down walk out for the rest of the day and leave his calculus or whatever it was for months he read shakespeare as with a microscope propounding and answering the most curious little questions it seemed to me sometimes i confess that he missed a plain point from his eyes being so sharp that they looked through it without seeing it having focused themselves beyond it a specimen of the kind of question he would ask and answer himself occurs to me as i write for he put it to me once as we read together why he said did margaret in much ado about nothing tried to persuade harrow to wear her other rabato and the answer was because she feared her mistress would find out that she had been wearing it namely the night before when she personated her and here i may put down a remark that i heard him make in reference to a theory which itself must seem nothing less than idiotic to any one who knows shakespeare as my uncle knew him the remark was this that whoever sought to enhance the fame of lord st albans he was careful to use the real title by attributing to him the works of shakespeare must either be a man of weak intellect of great ignorance or of low moral perception for he cast on the memory of a man already more to be pitied than any a weight of obloquy such as it were hard to believe any one capable of deserving a being with shakespeare's love of human nature and bacon's insight into essential truth guilty of the moral and social atrocities into which his lordship's eagerness after money for scientific research betrayed him would be a monster as grotesque as abominable i record the remark the rather that it shows my uncle could look at things in a large way as well as hunt with a knife edge at the same time devoutly as i honour him i cannot but count him intended for thinkings of larger scope than such as then seemed characteristic of him i imagine his early history had affected his faculties and influenced the mode of their working how indeed could it have been otherwise end of chapter three recording by shay davenport www.shaydavenport.com